When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Political Party. This one features Conservative MP Johnny Mercer. I'd never met Johnny before, um, but I'd seen him on things. I'd seen him be very funny on things. And he's uh, an amazing personality, so heartfelt, really passionate, full of energy, a very hopeful individual. And I think that's the main thing, apart from the fact he's really, really funny and so likeable, is that he's got real hope in the future. And despite everything at the moment, I think he genuinely thinks this op- there's a huge opportunity now for a far better politics. Now, we might disagree on what better politics means but my word, it was a thrill um, to hear him talk in the way that he did. He's got some incredible army stories and he's really seen things. And um, in a way, it felt that most of the interview wasn't political in the party political sense. So it was quite different from other interviews. But he is just so impressive and really funny. And I just really hope, I'm sure you will enjoy it. Um, first of all, as well, a big thanks to everyone who's come to see me on tour. It's been such a thrill. And uh, I, I think it's the most enjoyable tour I've ever done. Um, and the, uh, my word, Leicester was great. Uh, Barnard Castle, Hexham, Darlington, North Allerton were all wonderful. So thank you to everyone who's been to those. Uh, the tour continues Friday the 1st of March at uh, Starbridge Town Hall. Uh, the 7th of March at the London South Bank Centre. The 8th of March in Stafford. The 12th of March at the London South Bank Centre. The 14th of March, I'm in Cambridge. Um, that's selling very well. That's almost sold out. The 15th of March in Corby, I think, has sold out. Uh, the 19th of March, uh, London, back at the other palace in the main room. The 26th of March, London, at the Leicester Square Theatre, which will be the biggest stand-up show I've ever done. Um, 31st of March in Bristol. 5th of April in Faversham. Faversham. There's loads more, uh, but I've added some extra dates. I've added another date at the Salford Lowry on the 9th of May. Uh, the other one sold out very quickly, so we've put that on sale, and that's selling very well. So uh, if you'd like to come to that, get your tickets as soon as you can. That's on the 9th of May, an extra one at the Salford Lowry. And I've added an extra one as well at the Camberley Theatre on the 25th of May. Um, so, yes, some extra dates, which is um, always nice. Um, so do get your tickets um quickly that's at mattford.com slash live and there's loads of other dates on sale there as well including the edinburgh stand the glasgow stand the newcastle stand and the lovely chorley little theater as well as some others so hopefully i'll see you on the road soon for now i shall leave you in the hands of johnny mercer hello everyone welcome to the show hello 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 quiet month What's going on out there? Give me a cheer if you've been to the political party before. Yay! Excellent, welcome back. Regulars, give me a cheer if this is your first time. Yay! Oh, superb. Welcome newcomers. Excellent. Uh, well, what an incredible... I mean, holy fuck. <laughs> and, I mean, quite apart from the fact that... Um, uh, yeah, personally, I'm quite happy that people have started to leave below party and the story parties. All of them, pretty much all of them, have been on the show. Uh, uh, Heidi Allen, friend of the show. Sarah Wollaston, friend of the show. Anna Subri, friend of the show. It was like a sort of reunion that I wasn't invited. 
I wasn't invited to, but it was, of course, uh, it, I should explain what I'm going on about. Uh, a number of Labour MPs and Tory MPs have decided to leave their own parties. Uh, when the Labour ones decided to go, I was watching it on a train. I don't think I've been that excited since the fall of Gaddafi. <laughs> it was fucking amazing. It was a bit like when the Saddam statue was pulled out. I thought someone's going to be chasing Corbyn with a pair of slippers. <laughs> that was brilliant to watch. And for those of you that watched it live on the BBC like I did, you may have picked up some of the bad language. Now, if you don't know about this, there's a Labour spin doctor stood by the camera. So when Luciana Bergeron shook her first emergency and announced one guy, and you overhear him, he goes, with this and Brexit, we're fucked. <laughs> And the BBC said, we're very sorry for any bad language you're hearing there from a Labour member of staff. I was like, don't apologise. I want more. <laughs> Every news item about the Labour Party should have a narrative, a narration from Labour Party's members of staff. Jeremy Corbyn is now at a rally in Nottingham after three and now seven members. <coughs> then eight uh, of his own party have now left. We can go live to Beeston now. Look at him, the fucking idiot. <laughs> Got in quite hard at the top here, haven't I? But everyone is welcome at the show. I should make it. It's a friendly show. It's a friendly show. Um, he, uh, <laughs> of course, one thing that almost threatened to derail the independent group early on uh, was the fact that they very proudly uh, and correctly said they were leaving the Labour Party because of the awful racism that existed in the party. And then two hours later, Angela Smith was live on TV and said, look, racism isn't just about whether you're black or a, a funny tinge. <laughs> And it took a moment, hang on, what, what do you mean a funny tinge? But the thing is, she sort of stops herself saying it, she goes, black or a funny tinge? Um, anyway, you know, everyone can be affected by it. Like, well, you can't leave a party, uh, uh, and who uses that phrase? I mean, don't get it going on LGBT rights, it'd be a fucking disaster. But we're very open-minded about Pearl, um, and... Um, <laughs> some of my friends are queer. Uh, I mean, you know, they're lovely people, and we welcome them all. Uh, the name as well, when they said, what's the name going to be? I thought it was, it, it was almost like the, the, uh, the thrill in The Apprentice when they first come up with... <laughs> it was be Kinetic. Aspire. Summit. And now they went for The Independent Group. Um, which, for sure, is Tig, and now they're getting called Tiggers. That's Tiggers, Angela. Tiggers, for God's sake. You've got to be so careful. I think they should call themselves TWA. Tiggers with Attitude. That's... Uh, Ticket, please. Uh, no, that's quite enough of those. But uh, they're now currently uh, the poll out this afternoon uh, has put the independent group on eighteen percent uh, in the voting intention. The Lib Dems on six percent, which must be it. Must be so hard for the Lib Dems. All these people going. If only there was some sort of centrist liberal party that was that was fighting Brexit that didn't wear socks with fucking sandals. <laughs> Saw that out, would have all joined. Um, the Labour response, of course, to uh, eight people leaving because of bullying was to call them scabs, traitors and snakes. <laughs> uh, which I just thought was hilarious because then John McDonnell gives those interviews where he gives those interviews where he's trying to talk calmly, but it's through gritted teeth like that. Yeah. He obviously wants to scream his head off. We're going to have a listening exercise over this weekend. We're going to listen to the members. Turns out what the, what the members were saying was, fuck off. And a lot of the MPs did. Uh, someone said, I just thought it was so weird. You know, usually when people leave, I thought Michael Gove got it right and Andrew Margaret said, it's a real shame these Tories have left. You know, I hope one day they can come back in. That's the right tone to strike. Uh, because someone said, oh, this is like deadline days. It's like transfer deadline day, but for politics. I said, yeah, but if the managers were slagging off the players as they left. <laughs> Would have been amazing. And Peter Ojemwengi, his late West Bromwich Albion, his former manager, Harry Redknapp, says he's a treacherous sneak, and if he sees him again, he'll slit his throat. <laughs> this is great. 
maybe they should do it like that. Um, the, the group then got into further trouble when they went to Nando's uh, for dinner. You may have seen the picture of the independent group. Uh, uh, all 11 of them went for a Nando's, but of course didn't refer to it as a cheeky Nando's. So they've been uh, decried as being out of touch with the, uh, the common man and woman in the street. Uh, I mean, it's not quite... The history of New Labour would have been very different if, if Blair and Brown had, instead of me meeting at Granita, had met at Nando's. Yeah. The Nando's deal doesn't sound quite as exciting, does it? Well, we've done the Nando's deal. Chuck is going to lead the party for four years. Then he'll hand over to Anna, or whenever he gets himself up to ten chilies, whichever comes first <laughs> on his loyalty cards. But a number of people were very offended. A lot of left-wing people were very angry for them going to Nando's. One guy said, that's right, get your snouts in the trough. Never mind poverty, never mind austerity, never mind in-work poverty go to Nando's and rub our faces in it. <laughs> Going to Nando's isn't like an exclusive thing, is it? it kind of, like if they were at the Ivy, then maybe you go, right, okay, the, the optics of this are bad, but Nando's, look at that Tory bastard off to Greg's. <laughs> Fucking, what a flash kit. He was at Pizza Express last week. Incredible nonsense. Uh, uh, and, and part of the reason they left was obviously the, the anti-Jewish racism that they'd seen and, and some of them experienced themselves. But also it was Corbyn's policy on, on Brexit. And one of the things that inflamed it was uh, a week before the Labour uh, members left, uh, Corbyn had written a letter to Theresa May outlining his position on Brexit but hadn't mentioned the second referendum at all. And when he was challenged on it, he said, oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> now, he obviously didn't forget, but the fact that they think that's a good excuse... Tells you everything about the brains currently running the Labour Party. Because if you think that's a good idea, you just forgot. It's fine. Vote for this guy. He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> Imagine him as Prime Minister. Can the Prime Minister please explain to the House why he declared a war on Russia and forgot to tell the army? And can he please now tell the country why Vladimir Putin will be marching down Whitehall in two days to take over as the Supreme Leader of the United Kingdom and why he did nothing about it? Oh, man, I forgot. <laughs> oh, God. It's not the end of the world, but it sort of is. Uh, so he's, uh, he's, he's, up, uh, he's up shit crit. I mean, it does... It, part of the problem is, I think, with him saying that he forgot, slightly reinforces the impression that he's, he's getting on a bit. I realise that's quite close to the knuckle for some of the time I've You won't remember, so it's fine. But he, he's... <laughs> He forgot, he's right, he, he, he might as well have said, look, I forgot, I wrote it on the pad by the phone, but the moment I left the house, that was it. Um, um, uh, this was then compounded, the problems of the Labour Party, by the fact it, it turned out that Derek Hatton uh, had been readmitted to the Labour Party. He was then immediately re-suspended. Um, I just hope the letter was delivered by taxi. That one was topical in the 80s. Uh, it's nice to dust it off again. Uh, Labour got into another round this week uh, because the, uh, the British government now wants to um, recognise Hezbollah, the terrorist organisation, uh, wants to recognise uh, a terrorist organisation as a terrorist organisation and make membership of it and support of it illegal. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn's office put out a statement saying that there is not enough evidence that Hezbollah is a terrorist organisation uh, and Sajid Javid is only doing this for his leadership ambitions, which... Given the response that Luciana Berger and Chuck Ramuna got, called Scabs, Traitors and Snakes, and then later that week the Labour Party going, but look, you've got to go easy on Hezbollah. This is... <laughs> look, come on, let's be reasonable, guys. Some of them have got political values. What, actually, the Labour Party statement says, this could tarnish diplomatic relations. 
Yeah, for you personally, but like not for the country. That's going to ruin my plans for the weekend. I was meeting up with them all. <laughs> meeting, all meeting up with them all on Saturday night. Um, uh, Labour, some Labour members uh, have now uh, given Rachel Riley so much uh, online uh, abuse, uh, anti-Semitic abuse, she's now taking legal action against a number of Labour Party members. And it does seem odd that the subject of someone's abuse would be a, basically a sidekick on a daytime TV show. Um, obviously, because she controls the numbers and corrects people's maths, that's seen as a coded attack on Diane Abbott. But... <laughs> the, the struggle takes many forms. Um, and of course, the Labour Party has a proud history. Who can forget the Blairite war on Mr Chips from Catchphrase that raged for five years, or the, the Kinnerkite faction's uh, annoyance with the man who shattered 180 on, uh, on Bullseye. So there's a... There is a history of this. Uh, she said, plain and simple, lot, I've been the victim of anti-Semitism. Um, you know, do these people need it spelling out? And if they do, by the way, it is vowel, consonant, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant. Yeah, I mean, that is... That's, I spent half an hour this afternoon memorising anti-Semitism in consonant, vowel. And you can check the records. Uh, what a fucking waste of time that was. Uh, <laughs> But I liked it. Uh, that's becoming my catchphrase at this night. You don't like it, but I do. Uh, Jamie Driscoll this week was unveiled as Labour's candidate for the um, North East mayoralty. He was the Momentum candidate who got the Labour selection. And he is... Uh, you've got to look this up on YouTube. There's an interview with him on, on local news where all the reporters asking him is, does he support Brexit or not? And he starts off by saying, well, the North East voted for Brexit, but it did not vote for a no-deal Brexit and we need a Brexit that is a plan, and we need a Brexit that works, but we don't necessarily need Brexit. And the guy goes, you sound quite confused. Are you, do you support Brexit or not? And he goes, we need a Brexit if we're going to have a Brexit. That is a plan, if, if that's what people want. And it's going to be... So, do you support a second referendum? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that whatever we need should be delivered, and that is my position. The guy goes, just to be absolutely clear, do you support Brexit or not? And he went, but I, I think you're trying to simplify it. <laughs> <laughs> very big issue and a very straight question. You're like, mate, imagine he must be a nightmare at home. Jamie, what do you want for dinner? Well, I want food. That, if I do indeed want food, and that remains to be seen. You know, we, we could eat out. And, not Nando's, obviously, I'm not made of money, but um, <laughs> we could go anywhere. He also, it turns out, he was the momentum candidate, so not even just left-wing Labour, like really left-wing Labour, and he was attacked on the campaign, it turned out, despite calling for a national education service, he sent his two boys to one of the most exclusive private schools in the North East, the Newcastle School for Boys, and when this emerged, he went, oh, I see the personal attacks of stories. <laughs> well, no, like, they're not calling you fat or bold. Like, this is political. This is like your political judgment, and d despite defending public services, sending your kids to a private... Like, that's politically relevant. Like, calling it a personal attack isn't really fair. Um, he made this statement, of course, from uh, a booper clinic where he was getting uh, <laughs> checked up on. He was uh, just before he goes uh, sailing for Cows Week. But he... Uh, <laughs> Just the idea that that's a personal attack is hilarious, isn't it? But you did kill a man. Oh, come on, mate. It was one bloke and it was a year ago. Can you just let it go? <laughs> uh, a 
Esther McRae today launched a new campaign you might have seen on live uh, called Ladies for Leave. And I know, that's fucking awful, That's exactly the right noise. That's exactly the right noise. It's one of the worst videos. She's going, hey girls. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. It's awful. It's like a really bad, it's like a Lambrini advert. Lambrini girls just want a no deal Brexit. It's really, really bad. She's going, hey girls. You know when it's like when the guys are doing all the talking and your ears are bit, and all this, it's one of the shittest. It's like a really bad episode of Loose Women. It's just fucking... <laughs> Coming up later on the show, we'll be talking about that Oscar speech and, of course, the latest in high street fashion. But first, the common fisheries policy <laughs> and what it means for our common external tariffs for the rest of the Eurozone. Uh, it's dreadful. I mean, the thing is as well, you think, but I, I sort of understand why they're doing it, but you couldn't and you shouldn't do it by... It's not really a gender issue, is it? Let's say, as a woman... I just want to say that I hate the EU. <laughs> yes, I agree. As a mother, I mean, nothing worries me more than um, the common agricultural policy. Um, it's just something guys don't get. <laughs> and also, what you're encouraging, which would be even more dreadful, is some sort of blokes for leave. I suppose that's what you've got already, but that would be even worse. You know, I mean, I suppose the male argument would be um, that just like leaving the EU, men will stick to an idea even if it's been proven to be fucking stupid. <laughs> no, 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 once you made your mind up, that's it. I mean, surely you won't call it blokes for leave, it'd have to be lads for leave, but then that's got connotations, hasn't it? Oh, yay! <laughs> like getting on it, but hate the EU. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fucking suggesting it. I think I was so committed to it, you thought it was my idea. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, we have... Um, oh, I should say as well, we have a very special guest tonight, someone I've wanted to interview for a very long time. It's true, it's true, it's true. He's a, he's a hero in many ways. And, now, there are only a couple of tickets left. We've announced, that you may have seen on Twitter this afternoon, I'm doing a special here on Tuesday with four members of the independent group. Heidi Allen, Chuck Ramuna, uh, Anna Subri, and Mike Gates. Um, so, and I think there's like, there may be only five tickets left, which I realise may cause a stampede, but... Um, <laughs> You know, fight it out amongst yourselves. But um, that is obviously a special extra one that we've added for next week. And then the guest at the end of March, if you have tickets for that, is George Osborne. <laughs> Not the response I was expecting. I was genuinely excited, but uh, it seems that it may turn out to be a farce. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, as always, a superb audience. Thank you so much for coming down. I'll see you in about 20 minutes with my special guest, Johnny Mercer. And for now, thank you very much. Cheers. <laughs>
assured me it was not going to come out in the UK. So I thought I thought this is, you know, wonderful, happy days. I'm gonna basically and you know everyone knows I've I've got it and I've had it for most of my life. And I basically got to stand just now and just sit down and get loud stuff. So if you've got anything to do with us you know you are you are like cleaner than anything. Um, and uh, and yeah they uh, they promised me it wasn't gonna be shown in the UK. The trouble is it was being shown in America, the trouble is they, they showed it Suddenly, it sort of kicked off, and uh, you know, and everyone, everyone, uh, everyone heard about it. And uh, yeah, it was just great. Fun. I mean, my mom, my mom phoned me back when my mother was actually talking to me. She phoned me, and uh, she said, "Oh, it's just just brought round the Guardian in the UK. They put me on the six page big cover, big print spread."
really bad. But uh, you know, coming out of military, you know, I joined up when I was 19, and I then moved to Hawaii. So I think uh, it was great experience, and uh, uh, one that I'm very proud of. <laughs> but were you were you keeping your distance from people? No, regrettably not. <laughs> I, um, uh, no, they did save me. They did save. Me.
Thank you. 
idea of being, you know, you, you, a lot of that does happen, but you learn a lot about yourself. And the thing that you really learn, that, that I've realised you don't learn outside of London, is just the way you party. Right? So, you know, what your limitations are and, uh, and all that, all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's quite frightening to think about the sun going down and the sounds of the world. In terms of the political lessons that you've learned from being in the military, one of the <clears throat> narratives around Britain's engagement, particularly in Iraq and Afghanistan, was that the kit wasn't good enough, that guns were jamming, that there was a, the sense that actually it was all a bit messy. Was that your experience living it? Look, this is what first sort of triggered my uh, interest in this stuff. I mean, when I first, I first went to Afghanistan in 2006 and we had... Um, I was at what's called an OMLT commander, so an operational mentoring liaison team. So basically, me, three Royal Marines, and 92 Afghans, right? So we had to train these guys and take them on operations. So there was a six-week cycle. I mean, I genuinely can't believe this was only sort of 13 years ago. It sounds like something out of the 1800s. But we would get these guys turn up, six-week cycle. You train them for six weeks. You take them on operations for six weeks. They go and leave for six weeks and then they do the cycle again, right? But obviously, those with a brain went on leave for six weeks and never came back. So we had an 83% desertion rate. So every time they came back, you're starting again with these guys. Um, and it is a totally, totally different culture. I came out on parade one morning, uh, and there was a guy dead just on the end. And they'd had a fight over weapons, and this guy had been sort of beaten to death with the butt of a weapon. Jesus. Um, 
And this was the early days when we, you know, we didn't really understand uh, what we were doing. Um, you know, some extraordinary stories. The, the company commander, everyone was a bit sort of fishy around him. And I was, I remember talking to the interpreter and saying, you know, why, what, what's this guy's reputation? He'd been with the Northern Alliance and he captured some people and uh, he just left them all to, to boil in, a, in, in one of those uh, big metal ISO containers in the desert. Uh, that was his way of dealing with uh, with the enemy. So, look, these are it's an extraordinary experience, and and then to take these guys on operations, you, you could never tell when you came under contact. So, so what I would do with my little small team is always say, look, guys, you've got to stick together, right? So I'd be with the company commander, they'd be with platoon commanders. You have a company, three platoon commanders. Uh, the Marines would be with the three two commanders and I and so you know when you're operating over the ground you're sometimes 200 300 meters apart I was like guys fuck that you need to be right we need to all stick together because you had no idea when the rounds started coming down it was like it was like the Olympics these guys would fucking just go and uh, you know and suddenly you're there like you know sort of sort of pinned down and and it's just the four of you and uh, I mean I was lucky I on my first tour I didn't really get up to much but some of the stories um, you know, from my peers who were operating at the same base. Absolutely extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, we had, we had to learn pretty fast. There were, there were one or two Afghans who, um, who were fine, but uh, uh, it's just such a different culture. Um, they, you know, they, they, they prioritise different things. It's a really interesting country. I think it's a beautiful country. Um, with some beautiful people in it. Um, but they have had generations of corruption and violence. And you can imagine the sort of population that inculcates. Have you, <coughs> have you been back at all? As a city? Yeah. No. <laughs> no I, I thought you might have gone with a select committee or a, an all-party group or something. And... I couldn't think of anything worse. I mean, I, I would... Um, no, no. I mean... Uh, no, I, I obviously went back a number of times, but um, I don't really... I, 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 obviously, friends of mine from the same era, like Leveson Wood and people like that, they go out and make all these films. I, I couldn't really think of it. To, to be honest, by the time I left in, in my last tour in 2010, I, I kind of had enough of the place, really. You get to it, it's quite sad, because you get to a place where you think you guys have had... You know, if you think about the money we've put into Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, and all the problems that go with it, and I totally accept, you know, we, we haven't done the best we could have done. Uh, but if you think about the money that's gone into these countries, there have been opportunities that they've decided not to take. And personally, I found that... So I always operated at the small team level, um, always in combat, guys who get injured and killed and so on. And I just felt that... Um, um, we deserved a little bit better from the local population. Um, and so, by the, you know, I, I'll, I never want to go back, to be honest. Um, I'd love them to flourish and be an amazing country. I think they're a beautiful country. I think they've got some amazing people there, an amazing culture. But at some point, they have the, the corruption is, is absolutely extraordinary um, to a level that we would never really understand in this country. Um, and it gets to a point where you think, you know, if you're not going to help yourself, uh, and that's how I felt, and so it's probably time to leave. Not everyone feels like that, um, you know, uh, and so on. But for me, certainly, I'd kind of had enough. How hard is it to engage with normal life, particularly in between tours where, I mean, obviously having never been, 
And I know that films aren't all... You know, I know that American Sniper isn't a documentary and that The Hurt Locker isn't this that, but the, the scene that always stays with me is that scene in The Hurt Locker where he's come back from a bomb disposal unit and then he stood there in a, an American supermarket facing a wall of cereal, all in different colours, and like the banality of modern life compared to what you've seen must be a bit peculiar. But you've you got to understand, it's not a, it's not a question of thinking... I've had to deal with really serious shit, therefore I'm not interested in this trifle stuff. It's the fact that you get so... <laughs> one of the hardest things I found to deal with was not, you know, the blood and guts and the fighting and all that. It's just the intense pressure. Yes. So if you're in a, if you're in a job like mine where you're doing the terminal control of weapon systems, so basically you've got helicopters and jets and they're dropping bombs, all right? And if you get that wrong, obviously... It, things go very bad. And, and, and three or four of my friends, my peers, have killed people in their own teams. So, you know, it's for me, it wasn't the, it wasn't the kind of coming home and thinking that I have, you know, that, thinking these things over and over again. It was just the pressure of, of having to deal with life or death decisions in combat, which is a totally different environment. Yeah. Literally, people are getting shot and killed around you. Um, it was just the kind of pressure of that that I found quite difficult to readjust to. And that's where that comes from. You know, you look at the cereal, that guy looks at the cereals and he's like, you know, well, I've had to make decisions to whether or not I kill that kid. Um, and now you're asking me which cereal I've got. I just, I just can't be fucked. Just give me anything, right? <laughs> and that, that's, where, that's where that comes from. So I have a lot of empathy with that. But I think, um, look, this is, the real world is not the army. It's not combat. Um, and you have to readjust to it, and you have to be able to deal with it. Well, you seem to have readjusted remarkably well, and not just... I don't think my wife would agree with you <laughs> uh, at all. But in what way is that... Look, I, I, uh, I got to a point where uh, I think uh, I, I, I loved the war. I loved the idea of going out, having an extremely sort of violent summer coming home, spending most of my time drunk and then going back out again. You become kind of addicted. It's really unhealthy. It's really destruct- destructive. Um, but uh, you get kind of hooked on it. You, you do. And uh, it's, it's not a good... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I know that it's obviously a completely different arena, but is there something that politics gives you, you think, that replicates that? The, the confrontation of the House of Commons, feeling part of a team, a, a war of ideas instead of a literal war? No. Because... <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's also fake. 
Mm. Right? It's the reason I got into politics. The, we've made you know, um, a profession of sort of inauthenticity. Uh, and that's why I came into it. So now I'm afraid it's, it's nothing like that. Um, it's uh, the House of Commons is a, you know, I learn every day. And, uh, you know, particularly at the moment. What do you, in terms of what's happened in the last few weeks with three Conservative MPs uh, leaving, Heidi Allen, Anna Subrin and Sarah Wollaston, you feel like the sort of guy that they'd be tapping up to go with them? I mean, is it something you... Yeah, I was. <laughs> Might that still happen? No, because, um, look, I've got a lot of respect for these guys. Uh, you can't underestimate the moral courage it takes to step out of line and do that sort of thing. Whatever your beliefs, particularly in that environment. You, you know, being an MP is a really strange job because you're with a very, um, yeah, a very st strange cohort. I mean, who, who the fuck wants to be an MP, right? <laughs> so, you know, you're with... You're with a strange cohort, everything you do is in the public domain mm -hmm. and everything is under the most intense scrutiny and that brings about, if that bothers you, which it doesn't me, but it does some of my colleagues, if that bothers you, that's an immensely stressful environment. Mm -hmm. And they um, step out of that and they think, yes, I'm going to go and uh, be an independent. And I have, some, I, I have some respect for that. Personally, I think that, uh, you know, I think what's going on now is quite exciting because I think politics in this country has been too shit for too long. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the reality is there are millions of people across this country who are really thirsty for change. Yeah. Um, and if you can meet that challenge inside one of the political parties and you can drag that political party with you, kicking and screaming, you'll set the country on fire. This idea that my generation is not engaged in politics is absolute bullshit. They've never been more engaged. You, they comment on political posts. They're all on Facebook. They just don't like what they see, right? So you galvanise them together under a centre, centre-right vision about being judged by how you look after the most vulnerable, the, the, you know, everything around making the bottom 20% of their lives better. Uh, yes, being internationalist and, you know, and... Uh, um, you know, uh, low tax sort of, you know, about the individual and things like that. But people want, people are, are thirsty for that at the moment. I found the rise of like Jeremy Corbyn absolutely extraordinary. Um, you know, and, and Donald Trump in a way. I mean, I know they're different ends of the spectrum, but uh, you, can, you can look at that and you can, you can laugh, right? Because obviously it's quite funny. But you mustn't sneer at it. Because ultimately they've managed to do what politicians have failed to do since, since Blair, really, which is get people to go out and actually vote. Make time in their day. You've got to put yourselves in these people's position, right? They're busy, young family. I got absolutely hammered about six months ago um, for saying I wouldn't vote at the moment, right? But I absolutely stand by it because the reality for millions of people in this country is that they've got busy lives, their lives are bloody difficult, uh, they've got naughty children who don't want to go to school. Um, they're extremely busy. Why should they take time out of their day to go and vote? And you don't give people something to vote for. They are simply not going to do it. And that's where you get these extremes because the extreme sort of bunch will always vote. Um, and that's where we've kind of gone wrong in a way. And uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty sort of heartbreaking to watch um, because the, the same people suffer 
every time government goes wrong. As you know, the people who use government all the time. But if <clears throat> talk about you know Jeremy Corbyn getting people to go out and vote, but more people voted for Theresa May. She increased the share of the Tory vote. Is she not part of that same phenomenon then? What's different about Theresa May if she's winning? The the the, the question as to why people vote the way they vote is the million dollar question. Um, you know, how much of your vote as a member of parliament is a personal vote? How much of it is, um, you know, about the party? Uh, yes, Theresa May increased, uh, increased the vote at the last election. Um, but I think, I think there's kind of more to politics than just this incremental sort of up and down and, you know, flowing with the waves. Ultimately, less and less people vote in this country. And you've got to ask yourself why they do that. It's not that they don't care. Right, because politics genuinely affects almost everybody every day, um, and no, it's it's a fair point about uh, about Theresa, um, but you've got to look at the rise of someone like Corbyn, who, if you look, you know, just on a very facetious level, which is what politics is sometimes. He, you know, there are elements of, of him that are not electable, but what he was talking about got a lot of people out and interested and committed to politics. Um, you know, how much of Theresa May's was actually a vote against Jeremy Corbyn. I think it's incredible in this country how everything, politics is so negative, right? So if you look at the 20, 2010 election, uh, you know, it was all sort of, from my side, it was all about, you know, it's all based on fear, basically. 2015, exactly the same. You know, there's pictures of Ed Miliband with Alex Salmon in his pocket. Oh, the other way around. Uh, was it? Yeah, it was Alex Salmon with Ed Miliband. Was it? Story. Okay, they all look the same to me. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, 2017, don't vote for Jeremy Corbyn because he was in the IRA or whatever. You know. uh, the reality is you knock on doors, right, and they'll go, they'll go, okay, that sounds really bad, but Granny's operation's just been cancelled for the third time, mm. so what are you actually going to do about it? And my rail link is shit. It literally just washed into the sea, which it did. Uh, you know, what are you going to do about that? That really matters to me. Um, and, and, you know, and, and Jeremy Corbyn answered those questions and we didn't. Do you, I mean, it, it, how much of an ideological conservative are you? You know, if there was a kind of Blair or something like that, let's say it came from the Labour Party or the Lib Dems or some other party, would, would that, it seems that that would appeal to you more than what Theresa May is offering. The trouble is with, with being in a political party, I, I genuinely feel that um, the, the future of, the, of a modern Conservative Party is very different to where we have been and in some places where we are at the moment. So, um, you know, and that, that's just my personal view and there are lots of different views and, and, and I, res I, I respect all of them. But uh, I, I'm not a... Um, I'd never voted before 2015... So I'm not, uh, you know, sort of died in the wall. But, but I, think, I think more people are like that. You know, when I went door knocking in Plymouth, so what I, the way I got elected, right, was they gave me this 1% chance. I was like, fuck, you know, this is going to be hard, right? But what I did was I, I printed out my constituency on Google Maps and I marked up every single house because I thought the worst thing is not going out and losing this election. The worst thing is not reaching people like me who just didn't feel like they had anything to vote for. So we marked up every single house, went out uh, December 2014, I think it was that year, with my wife and kids, worked out how many houses we could knock on a day and transposed that back from May the 7th and worked out if we started on the 2nd of January, we'd get to every house in Plymouth. Wow. Uh, and that was, 
Because I don't believe that most people in this country are died in the war, Labour, Tory, whatever. I think that generation is kind of changing. Yeah. What people want from politics is, is, you know, it's not the moon on a stick. It's just representation. It's someone who's going to be their voice, someone who is there or thereabouts on their values and their ethos. Um, and, that's, and I learned that during that six-month period. And I hold on to that because, you know, at the last election, you know, my side generally took a bit of a hammering. Uh, and my, my majority went out fivefold. So, you know, the idea that politics is dead is absolute horseshit. And this is one of the most exciting things I think I've heard a politician say in years, because you're, you're part of a party that, as you said, for the last three elections, fought out on pretty negative grounds and uninspiring, not much hope in the future. And yet, within that party, there are people like you that still have different ideas, that have a more positive view of the future, that... And I think what absolutely resonates with people, whether they're left-wing, right-wing, or, or wouldn't even identify as that, and I agree with everything you say in that regard, is that I think people do just want to hear some positivity. Yeah. And, and not a lot of positivity really has come from the Tories in the last few years. Uh, look, it's a really fair point. I, I, think, um, I think what you're seeing now is the collapse of a generation of sort of career politicians. And I, I know you sort of worked in that, so I don't want to offend you. <laughs> no, 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 that's not, that. um, not anymore. You know, but for me, you know, the thing that drove me into politics was this incredible inauthenticity of these people, yeah. right? And how, how that felt, not only for me as a, as a veteran, you know, so I got into this because in, in 2012, more of our soldiers took their own lives. They killed themselves because of, they were killed in the conflict in 2012. Oh and I was sick of the, the, the incredible displays of patriotism and our boys at the Cenotaph versus what I actually saw through guys who'd left, through families who'd lost loved ones, um, through those who'd become uh, uh, injured, uh, lost legs and arms and all sorts. And I just, I mean, I remember my first, the first Remembrance Sunday I came back in 2010. I couldn't go to Remembrance Day. I was like, I was like, you guys put on this great show, right? But the reality, the reality is you don't give a shit. And I just could not deal with it. That bow wave is now breaking of in, inauthenticity. And uh, you've seen that with the Brexit vote. Um, you've seen how, uh, you know, how in the election of Donald Trump, you've seen that in the election of Jeremy Corbyn, and I think it's massively exciting um, because that's ultimately what po people want politics to be. They don't, they're not asking for the moon on a stick. They're not asking for some incredible you know, solution that's going to solve every problem in their life. They just want to be represented properly uh, in Westminster by a party that understands what it's like to be in their shoes. But all the things you list there, Trump, Corbyn and Brexit, aren't around the centre, which is where you are. So how do... The people on the left of the Tory party, like you, or the people on the right of the Labour Party, energise people in a way that Trump, Corbyn and Brexit has? So that, look, I was in Washington last week and, and you know, this is the challenge. How have people like um, um, AOC, this, this new senator, uh, sorry, Congress lady in, in America, had, you know, and they, the, the thing they've had on their side, the insurgents, if you like, is that they're in opposition and you can promise stuff that can never be delivered and that's exciting and that lights people up. Um, the challenge we have is getting people excited about things like social justice, around things like mental health provision, around um, uh, you know, redefining the economy so that it actually works for the little person. Um, and, and that's definitely uh, tougher, but 
we've kind of lost the skill in, in politics, if you like, to kind of advocate for what we believe in. So to have this vision and then to really bring people with you. I mean, if you can't do that, kind of what are you doing in politics, right? Because that's, that's what it's all about. It's about trying to improve people's lives, people's everyday lives. Um, and I, lo- I love that challenge. I, I, think, uh, I think it's exciting. I, think, I, I also think that people misunderstand the Brexit thing, right? Yes, it was a vote about Europe, you know, take back control and all that stuff. But the reality, it was much more than that. It was a vote about, it was much more about a people throwing a leash around their own government and saying, you guys don't listen to me. You don't, you don't even know, yet alone care what it's like to walk in my shoes, to work on the minimum wage, to have a disabled child. And um, I love that because I think uh, I, I, I love the <coughs> disruption that creates because I think we need to create a much better product that actually works in this country where we can see increasing numbers of people voting and people actually plugging into this. You know, across Europe, you've seen the rise generally of extremist parties. Okay, we haven't had that in the UK at the moment. We, you know, UKIP's kind of dived off. Um, you know, but if we don't get, if we don't respond to the call of Brexit, which I know in London this is really unpopular, obviously, but if we don't respond to why people voted for Brexit in constituencies like mine, seventy percent, right? We have to. We're, we're we're in deep trouble. So, you know, I'm absolutely determined to meet that challenge, and we can do that, and we can get on and make this place work. So do you, do you say this stuff to Theresa May? Is, is her door open to you? <laughs> <laughs> Look, the Prime Minister's door is always open to me and she's very nice to me. And we had a chat 10 days ago. Um, I can tell I, I, I'm in danger of getting myself in trouble. Um, but, uh, look... <laughs> Politics is, is completely changing. And uh, in my view, that generation of politicians are being overtaken by events. And the, the speed at which life is changing around social media, around politics, it's like a horse running away. And these guys are still in the stable. Now, someone has to go and get that horse and sit on it and tame it and turn it into something we want it to be, Right. That's either going to be the Conservative Party, but in a completely different guise, or it's going to be taken over by um, um, people with uh, darker interests. Um, And I think that's the challenge at the moment. You know, you look at extremism in this country, people don't talk about extremism. You know, you get, you know, you only have to look at a crowd that Tommy Robinson puts together. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. Um, We don't meet that challenge, and we'll be in a pretty tough place. So, how did she respond? I thought when this said, was supposed to be funny. Well, <laughs> sort of, bit, it was very funny at the start, but you know, you can be, it, it can be, it's good to have a bit of both, a bit of ebb and flow, but I, oh. I, I mean, how does she respond to that message? Does she say, look, you got me wrong, I'm not that sort of politician, I'm not being dictated by events? Look, I, I, I am, um, the, trouble, the trouble I have is that I'm, I'm pretty straightforward with everyone, so I sat down and said to her, uh, you know, I don't think I'm betraying any confidences because I said to her, look, I'm going to say this to you because I said to everyone else about you and this administration um, and just had a very honest conversation. Because this is, you know, this whole politics thing, it's not actually about us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a vehicle for getting stuff done. And if we're not delivering in places like Plymouth where people really rely on government, what's the point? You may as well stay at home, right? 
Um, I, I mean, my life up here, I've got, I've got to be honest, is, is, is pretty crap, right? So, you know, I live in a fucking hotel, uh, right? I'm basically like Alan Partridge. I have my... <laughs> I, I have... Uh, it's a travel tavern. I, have, I genuinely have my own plate. Um, and... Uh, Is anyone and, written cockpit Mercer on the side of your car? Yes, but that was, that was my daughter. <laughs> uh, um... Which I was slightly obsessed about, <laughs> um, but uh, no, the uh, you know it's it's not good. But I view I think I, my problem is is that I view politics in a completely different way. For me, it's a vehicle to get things done, right? So I literally come up here and I put myself in the washing machine because I want to get things done. And then once I've done that, I'm you know I'm back to Plymouth as fast as I can. Um, but you know, I'm not. I'm afraid I'm. I'm not a you know a big sort of uh, someone who wants to leave their constituency, set up life up here. I don't have a flat up here. My family's not here. Um, I think London is very, very different to the rest of the country. Not in a bad way. Not in a good way. Just very different. Um, and uh, yeah. So for me, this place is. It's a vehicle. That's all it is. I go to schools, and you know, and you hear little. You know. Little Sammy says, oh, I want to be an MP. I was like, don't be so fucking stupid. You know? <laughs> um, oh, but I basically, I, you know, I, I sort of say to him, look, what's the, you know, why do you want to be an MP? Wow. Well, I, I don't actually swear it. No. Um, but I'm like, look, you totally misunderstand the point. Right? If you go through school thinking, I've got yeah. to get to Oxbridge, and you get to Oxbridge, you think, I've got to do PPE, and then I've got to get into the you know, CCHQ and work in this department or the Labour Party and working there, and then I've got to be an MP. I mean, that is, that is for me, that is, that is not politics. Yeah. Right? So I have a fundamentally different view of it, and that's how I get myself in so much trouble. <laughs> but uh, you, you live in a hotel at the moment. You, you, did, you did live on a boat when you first became an MP. Oh, that was tragic. <laughs> that, that was genuinely, in, in, a, in a contested field of bad ideas, that was, that, that was right up there. So, so what it was, was um, I basically, I did not expect to win in 20... I don't think I've ever sort of told this story, actually. <laughs> uh, I did not expect to win in 2015, obviously. Um, and what we were going to do was uh, go away with the children um, and homeschool them. We bought all the books to homeschool them and take them away down to the Mediterranean, get a bit of sun for a bit, um, and uh, take this, this little boat that I'd sort of done a bit of work on. And then in 2015, I, I won. And I was like, fuck, what do I do with this boat? Um, so I, um, I thought, here's a good idea. I'll drive it up to London and I'll live on it. Um, so I drove it up to London um, and I stayed in South Dock um, and uh, basically uh, I went to, so when you're an MP you obviously uh, they, some, I, I, were incredibly lucky, you know, they pay for your accommodation and all this stuff. And I said, look, I don't want any accommodation, I'm going to use my boat. And they said, fine, but, you know, we'll pay for it for a year and then, you know, and then we'll see what happens. But once you've entered into that, Obviously, you can't then, you know, get a hotel on a certain night or whatever. And uh, what happened was I lived on this boat and within about a month, everything was breaking. So, like, the toilet was fucked. Uh, the hot water just did not work. Oh, man. Um, and by December, like, the whole of South Dock was covered in ice, right? Um, so I was literally, like, getting ill in oh, this man. boat. Um, 
And I couldn't move out because it had been paid for a year. So I just had to stag on in this boat. And it was monumentally unpleasant. The only way I got through it was by getting really drunk every night. Um, so, that, so that I fell asleep. Literally, I, I would come back and drink whiskey to fall asleep. Um, and then... Uh, and then there was the, the, refer- the Brexit referendum. Uh, and then I, I obviously... I, felt, I genuinely felt like scuttling it, actually. <laughs> but South Dock's an amazing place. I, I, you know, I had this... Uh, in my incredibly naive mind, I had this picture of, you know, waking up in the morning, having a coffee, by the water. You know, fucking November, they found a body in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, shouldn't laugh, but just the image of an empty. It's one of the worst areas for crime. Absolutely extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Just a very bad, bad decision. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but the thought of an MP just hammered on a freezing boat. Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, it was awful. It was genuinely awful. <laughs> this guy, the guy who owned the harbour, he looked at me. He 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 thought I was fucking mad. Right? It was bad. It was a really bad decision. And uh, and then I went back to the Partridge School and logged into a hotel. And I've been there ever since. I've got like yeah, yeah. That's better. Well, yeah, it's quite depressing. But... <laughs> Is it the same hotel that you use every time? Same hotel, same room, same plate. <laughs> <laughs> do, they, um, do they have a good breakfast there? Do you know what? You, once you've stayed for a little while, you get points. You get loyalty points. And as you, as you climb up the points ladder, you get breakfast in bed. No way! I'm serious. I'm serious. So, uh, so you... Um, yeah, someone, someone knocks on the door in the morning. And, and I mean, it's terrible, really. Uh, but they bring you breakfast in bed. So I find it really difficult to leave now. It's basically like, it's basically like uh, a good officer's mess. So when you're living in the, in the military, you, you know, you, you live in this barrack room accommodation and, and nothing works. I mean, it's, it's, it's awful. There's, you know, the toilet's always blocked. Someone's always drunk. You know, something's been ruined from the night before. Um, and nothing really works. In, in a hotel, it's, it's basically like that, but everything does work. And, you know, and so, so, it's all, I feel terrible. You know, I, I mean, someone comes in, makes your bed, and picks up your pants and all sorts. It's fine, you know, I, you know it's not too bad. But it is, it is genuinely sort of quite, quite uh, depressing. Um, so I just try and work really hard in London, work till sort of 10 o'clock at night, get up 6 in the morning, go for a run, and just try and spend as little time there as I can. Um, and uh, get home as soon as I can. Oh, man. Uh, you did, uh, before I open it up to questions, I should say as well that um, on a separate boat, you saved a fellow MP's life when you went, was it around Cornwall? Well, I think the story's been slightly sort of very wrecked. What happened was um, we were out on this infamous boat that I, I didn't scuttle. Um, I thought there's no way the insurance company would pay out for like an axe through the bottom Um, so we went out in Cornwall and uh, yeah I took him off the coast quite a rough day and uh, we pulled up in a bay about 250 metres offshore 
And for some god unknown reason, I had no idea he couldn't swim. But he was, I was like, cool, I'll see you at the beach. I just thought he could swim. He jumped in and uh, about 30 yards away, like when someone's properly drowning, they're not like splashing around going, oh, this is shit. You know, they're like, they're, they're pro- they're, it's what's called climbing the ladder, right? So they're trying to get out of the water. And uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I mean, he, he started. Anyway, what I thought was he had my wallet. So I thought... <laughs> So I thought, uh, there's no way that wallet's going down. Um, so I went, I dragged him to the beach. It was absolutely hilarious. Dragged him onto the beach. And uh, I mean, poor chat. He's such a lovely guy, Scott. Um, but uh, he, I mean, obviously he thought he was going to die. So he wasn't in particularly good, good shape. Um, we sort of sat on the beach and he was throwing up and so on. Um, so I went and bought him a pint of tribute. Uh, and told him to forget about it. Bizarrely, that day, so of all the sea swimming I've done, it happened to someone else as well on the same day who I had to go and get. So twice in one day, it's never happened before, never since. I don't know what was going on, like there was something weird in the water. Um, but I, I had to go and get someone else as well, who was a friend of mine in the Navy. Oh my God. Yeah, <clears throat> we went for dinner that evening with him and his wife. And he was so embarrassed that he wouldn't sit at the same table with us. <laughs> so my wife and I were having dinner and we were like, you know, how are we going to repair this? I thought I've got to make a joke of it. So I go over to his table with his wife and I say, can you smell that? It smells like a hero to me. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, he didn't speak to me for like six months. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man, well... Uh, I've asked you uh, plenty of questions, Johnny. I'll open it up to the uh, to the audience. Who got Is this questions. all recorded? <laughs> it's a good laugh, though, isn't it? I don't think you've said anything that will get you into any trouble. Excellent. I think that all your stories reflect really well on you. <laughs> Well, they do. I think you've... Oh, man, this has already been genuinely a, bit, a very, very special night. I wouldn't worry. Thank you. Um, uh, so, let's, uh, we'll take some questions if you'd like to indicate clearly and uh, ask a question and let us know your name. Yes, there's one over there. If you were Home Secretary, what would you have done regarding the citizenship of Shamina Begum? Ooh. Look, I, 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 my personal view is that, that that's the wrong decision uh, that's been made. I think that uh, she's our problem and we need to sort it out. Um, I think if you you start going down a pretty slippery route. Um, and to be honest, anything you do that gets welcomed by Katie Hopkins is probably the wrong decision. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you've not said what you would do. You said that you don't agree. What would yeah, you she's do? got to come. She, you know, she gets come back. She gets prosecuted, and uh, you know, she if she's committed a crime, she, you know, we we abide by. Uh, the law of justice, and if, she, if, she, if there is evidence that uh, holds her to account, which I'm sure, you know, given her recent TV interviews, as, you know, I, I would suggest she's got a great lawyer. Uh, she, may be, she may be spending a bit of time contemplating what she's done, but she's also got a kid who's done nothing wrong, right? So, you know, that's what a developed society does. It gets these things right. It doesn't just look at it and go with a broad-brush approach. Okay. Are there any questions in this section of the room before I sort of move across? Yes. There are two right at the back, so we'll take them uh, in order. Uh, how, how do you see the uh, Independent Party uh, padding out? 
How do you see the independent yeah. party panning out? Look, a lot of those guys in that party are friends of mine. Um, I just think, interesting thing for me is like post-Brexit, what is their vision? What is the ambition for that? I think they've tapped into something which is people, you know, want politics done in a different way around values and ethos and all that good stuff. But um, I, I, I genuinely sort of wish them all the best. I'm not sure if it's going to get much traction in communities like mine. Yeah, there was another question in that part of uh, the room as well. Uh, yeah, you spoke out about um, like inauthentic politicians, and I suppose for some people the Conservative Party sort of embodied that a little bit. Why the Conservative Party for you? Uh, yeah. Um, I've got to be honest. I, I, I actually, you know, taking a clear-eyed view of it, I think the split is about even on either side. Um, there's some, you know, they've made a profession of insincerity across that across the House of Commons. Um, why the why the Conservative Party for me? Um, do you know what it came down to? One thing actually in 2014, where you could leave the military in my city of Plymouth, and I had two children and a wife, and I could go on to 27 and a half thousand pounds worth of state welfare. Average wage was 19 and a half thousand pounds. So I saw all my blokes going out of the military just thinking, fuck this, we're getting on to benefits. And I just thought, you know, you look at the what work does, the single biggest factor that improves the life chances of our most deprived constituency uh, and things like that is having a job. Um, and I just fundamentally disagree with it. Other people will take a different view, but that was my view. Okay. Someone's taking a very different view. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's, he's definitely claiming when he shouldn't be. <laughs> what, what's the telephone number? <laughs> I've got no idea. Right, where was, I think there was one down here. Um, yeah, hi. You described a very fragile state for serving individuals in the military transitioning out. So yeah. what additional support do you need, you think, needs to be put in place to help yeah. those so, very vulnerable individuals? Yeah. So look, the, the vast majority of people transition have absolutely no problem whatsoever and go on to a different life and move on and it's just part of their history. The problem I've got is that uh, the military charity set, there's three and a half thousand military charities in this country. It's the easiest thing to do to stand on a, on a street corner, shake a tin for... Um, for veterans, right? Uh, they've also, in the last since 2010, had uh, 970 million pounds worth of money. Um, and what has strategically changed for my Lance Corporals leaving, who find, you know, who get into work but three or four years down the line um, struggle? You know, where do they go? What do they look at? Can they access evidence-based care, or are they just going to go and, you know, sit in a field and and smoke? grass, you know, trying to sort of solve their problems. We, you know, I just think these guys deserve so much better when it comes to, you know, they serve with professionalism and I think the veterans care sector should be professionalised. They should expect to have evidence-based care that they have a, you know, a better than not chance of getting better. Um, I think that these organisations should not spend 85% of their uh, liable money on wages. Um, I think that... Uh, um, you know, we should encourage those that actually make people better and discourage those who set up organisations because they want to feel good about themselves, helping veterans and so on, which is a very noble cause. But this shit really matters to uh, some people who are very dear to me. So whilst I have a lot of time for that, and that's great, um, 
actually professionalising veterans care is a different issue and the only people that can do it is government. We're the only Five Eyes country that does not have a department for veterans affairs. Not a huge department, but just a department to pull together all the functions of government. The single biggest factor in improving a veteran's life is having a job. That's not an MOD thing, it's a DWP thing. Housing, family, right, these are not MOD issues. It's a cross-government approach and if the Prime Minister wanted to do it, she would do it tomorrow. <laughs> I think it was the gentleman there. And is, would anyone else like to ask a question? Oh, yes, but let's take the lady behind first and then, and then the gentleman in front. Well, I'm going to mention the dreaded B word. Um, but with regards to the Brexit okay. vote... <laughs> with regards to the Brexit vote, you mentioned that obviously yeah. 70% of your constituency voted to leave. Um, in terms of, there are obviously many different reasons why people voted that way, but yeah. how big a part do you think misinformation had to play in that? And how big a part do you think it still has to play in this thing around This thing around misinformation, the, the only thing I would say to that, and I voted to remain, which is probably largely why people in Plymouth voted to leave. Um, <laughs> the only thing around misinformation that I would say, uh, your next guest, George, is a, a friend of mine, right? If you remember during that election, Okay, what he was massively criticised for was saying how shit life was going to be if you voted for Brexit. But still people voted for it. So whilst we can kind of look at that and think you guys are kind of thick and you don't get it, the reality is very different to that. They saw that, okay, but they still voted to leave. Now, why did they do that? Because they felt uh, government didn't work for them. They felt life wasn't fair for them. They felt the establishment just didn't, didn't know what it was like, but more importantly, just didn't care what it was like to walk in their shoes. Um, and that's, that's the challenge we now face. I think about 10 or 15% of that vote was to do about Europe. The rest of it was to do about this country, about their relationship with London, about their relationship with the establishment, with government. Uh, you've got to remember, for a lot of people in this country, you know, uh, for those of us who are lucky enough, we have nothing to do with the government, right? We have, we don't use the doctors, we're not on social housing, we're not on state welfare. For a lot of people in this country, that is there every day. And if that stuff doesn't function, that is going to drive their sense of injustice that they feel. And that is why they vote for Brexit. So if we don't answer that call... Uh, I, I think the you know the potential for sort of extremists and all the rest of it is is, is quite significant. And unless people you know in my position are prepared to go out and get your hands dirty and genuinely fight for the centre ground, as hard as these guys are going to vote for their extremist bullshit, right? Uh, the only people who will suffer are those people who voted for Brexit. <coughs> okay, there's a fellow in the front. Is there anyone on the balcony that would like to ask a question? Okay, I'll get the, so then the mic. You were subject to some criticism last year for appearing on Hunted. Um, yeah. I'm wondering what your Christmas card from Kay Burley said. <laughs> I learnt a lot on Hunted. Um, so it was Celebrity Hunted, wasn't it? And you were on the run yeah. with Kay Burley. <laughs> Look, Kay is a lovely lady. She's a lovely lady. She's got an amazing heart. I think... Um, those pressure does strange, different things to different people. The amount of colleagues I've found over the road in Westminster who have just, in my view, just lost their shit about Brexit, they go on TV and say something and you're like, holy fuck, did you actually say that? <laughs> okay. Uh, pressure does strange things to people. Um, 
Kay, I wouldn't say a bad word about her. She's a lovely lady. And at the end of the day, she gave up time. You know, that programme raises £25 million for cancer. Um, and it was, a, it was a really good experience. I loved it because, you know, two weeks away from Westminster, no phone. Um, you know, I basically being an animal, you know, for, for two weeks, at, like out of the shower. I used to go in the morning in the, into the sea, have a shower, use a loo. It was amazing. Um, and so I absolutely loved it. Um, and I'd do it again in a heartbeat, but I don't think they'd have me back. <laughs> <laughs> so the last question of the night, and therefore the best. Here we go. No I pressure. Um, what would, it's a two-part question. What would you like your personal legacy to be, and what would you like your political legacy to be? Very early to be talking about legacies. Yeah, it is. I mean, I have a pretty low, low, low bar in terms of, you know, where do I want to be in five years' time? I quite like to... Uh, I, I genuinely... The trouble is, I, I, don't, I genuinely sort of don't really have any ambitions for myself. Uh, I have ambitions for uh, my community and my country. Um, so uh, in terms of it, I would, I would love to completely reset British politics, right, around um, being inclusive rather than exclusive, you know, being this rather childish environment where... If it's a Labour policy, you hate it. If it's a Tory policy, you love it. And all this nonsense. The reality for people out in the country who's, for too many of them, their lives are really bloody difficult, uh, they've had enough of that. And I would like to, you know, for example, take, take the NHS out of, almost out of political control and just have it run in a, in a way that is going to meet the challenge. An incredible challenge. The NHS is an amazing thing, right? Free healthcare at the point of need for those who need it. Trouble is, unless we all agree to, to die at 80, right, the, the whole thing is going to get increasingly hard because people can live for longer, they're getting older. You're not going to meet that challenge unless you have a bipartisan discussion about how the hell you maintain this challenge. And we have to keep it free at the point of need for those who need it. Um, you know, and I would like to change politics in that way uh, to make it more authentic so that people don't feel, you know, when they see their politicians, they can actually believe what they're saying um, and we can all work together for the common good. Oh, Johnny. Oh, oh, oh God. If that, if that other single bed's going any evening, you just... You just let me know. Oh, man. I have to say, like, I would never use these... I think... It's been one of the most special nights we've had, Danny. I'll tell you, oh, I you say truly, that to truly think you that. Like that. I, I, we, so many different people here that have so many different experiences and styles and things, but this has just been a real... Uh, I, I can't speak for the audience, I can't speak for anyone else apart from myself, but I just leave so much more hopeful for having met you than, for the future of politics and for just reassuring that there are good people who have uh, done some awful things in war, but that have... Uh, <laughs> 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 We're not Turkish, so it's fine. And uh, I think that is the lesson. Johnny, truly one of the best guests we've ever had here. It's been a real honour. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Mercer. Thank you. Oh, man. Thank you. So, we are uh, back next Tuesday for a special, if there are any tickets left upstairs on the way out, with uh, four members of the independent group. Uh, if, if they have all gone, do check uh, my Twitter feed and the venue's Twitter feed on the day because sometimes the odd ticket does come available. And then at the end of next, uh, this time next month, uh, George Osborne is the guest down here. 
And again, the same applies for tickets. More guests to be announced. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for coming, for being an amazing audience. And give it up one more time, Johnny Mercer. Johnny Mercer, what a guy. You know, it's always fascinating. You, I, I never, I've given up trying to predict what I think these nights are going to be like. Because inevitably, everyone surprises you. And I, I get a real thrill. I think there's, there is something special about talking to people at different parts of their careers. So, obviously, the last live show was David Blunkett re really looking back on his career. And this is Johnny Mercer really at the start of his. And you do get different perspectives. And... There are certain patterns, but what I thought was really refreshing about Johnny is he's right at the start of his career, but he talks, he's quite candid, um, and he seems very open. And uh, it's always one of those things that you feel like you get an emotional sense of someone. So whenever you see them on the telly, and he's always impressive on telly, I never realised he was quite so emotional about politics, about life, um, as I did sitting opposite him for an hour and, and talking politics with him. So it was great. Now, we've added an extra political party, which is Tuesday the 5th of March, where I'll be interviewing four members of the independent group, Chukaramuna, Anna Subri, Heidi Allen and Mike Gapes. Um, that's at the other Palace Theatre now. The tickets went on sale and, and sold out, I think, within an hour. So... Um, on the day, there often are a couple of returns, so do check my Twitter feed, at Matt Ford, and check the other Palace Twitter feed, because if you do want to go, and I know a lot of people do, uh, there might be some returns on the day, so just keep your eyes pinned on that. My guest at the end of March is George Osborne, and I have some amazing guests to announce for later in the year, but they are two amazing shows to look forward to. Thank you, as always, to all those who come down to the shows. Um, I'm always amazed at how many people are coming for the first time, which is brilliant, as well as so many returning... Uh, um, audience members. So thank you all for your support. Thank you for listening to this. And if you can find it within your heart to leave an iTunes review, to share it on social media, to subscribe and just generally tell the world about it, I'll be very, very pleased. So hopefully I'll see you on tour, if not down at the other Palace Theatre. But thanks for downloading and I'll see you soon. ta When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.